Welcome back to the Strange Neighborhood Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylin Gettler, and today's show is a continuation of sorts from the karma episode, and it's more about the alchemy and how you could um, change the energy and avoid the repercussions and uh, give yourself the gift of good karma in relationships. And obviously, it's a really important subject. We're all relating to each other all the time. And we all have um, different issues with the way we relate to each other, don't we? (laughs) And so I thought it was really important to go into. And then, especially since I have a relationship (laughs) that often needs examining and reassessing and reordering around because uh, we're all working at improving our way we relate to each other, hopefully. So relationships are evolving, changing, and we're learning all the time, aren't we? So to kind of kick it off, um, I found this like great little four-part series from Guru Jagat. Um, about relationships and I just thought it was so good but um, obviously I didn't just want to like play a clip of her <laughs> already clip <laughs> and I don't want to like take her content but I feel like the content of some of the things she said was so important so I got the transcript and then I um, took some parts I think are really good and, uh, and then I'll link it the original um, lecture below and I'll also link the other three parts of the series and hopefully it encourages you to go listen to more of her stuff because she's really brilliant and if you don't know who Guru Jagat is she's a kundalini yogi and um, I found her on YouTube like a few years ago and she's like just a very wise woman and I think she was working at the what whatever the institute is must be like the I think though I forget she's anyway (laughs) you can look up some stuff about her and uh I don't really know much like I don't know her bio or whatever but I've been listening to her videos in her lectures for a few years and actually last year she passed away unexpectedly after a surgery um which was really sad like the world lost a real light but I have to um remind myself that there's a divine plan for everything and um her light went out at the time it was meant to go out and it didn't just go out it just um went to another dimension right (laughs) and so um this is more like my homage episode to guru jugget and um, her wisdom on relationships and i hope you really enjoy it and if you enjoyed i hope you go find some more of her stuff and um because she it's just like unstoppable never-ending wisdom like when she's speaking I'm just like oh my god like it just brings um consciousness to like details of our lives that we um don't always look at in that kind of perspective and she sheds light on it in a new way where you can see your patterns in subconscious um loops you're in and things that you're doing to be (laughs) self-destructive so we can rise above and you know if we like each thing we do to make ourselves better, more loving, more of a light in the universe is going to add to the light in the universe. And it's also contagious. So yeah, 
I really love her. Go check out her stuff and I'll link her podcast page below. There's not that many episodes, but she also has a YouTube channel, which I'll link below with a lot of great videos. I almost forgot to add guys that, um, at the end of the show, I added the second half of the Manly P Hall lecture about karma that we started last week. So yeah, it listened to me talk for a while and then listen to someone a little more wise say it probably better. Uh, but yeah, love you guys. Enjoy this one. favorite things is from that 25th uh, uh, Jabji Puri and basically the line says you know even if you bring me the you know even if you curse me and uh, you know bring fire and brimstone and um, uh, all sorts of terror and torture whatever you bring to me I see it as a great blessing and I say thank you that's alchemy because when you receive something with gratitude no matter what it is it alchemizes and and potentiates and initiates the power of the positive miraculous force of that particular thing if you guys were here last week you know that on episode 49 that we went over karma and the karmic laws and then i was telling a story about how I witnessed someone alchemize so much negativity into something really positive that was really um, had a lasting effect. And so I was talking about just that, like alchemy, alchemizing whatever energy you're given into something good and whatever situation you presented, um, seeing it as a blessing in some way or finding the blessing in it because we're really good at finding what's wrong with it and what's negative and what we don't want from it or to happen. Um, but what if we put our energy into like turning it into something positive instead of dwelling on the negative or seeing it in a better light or it's like always a perspective shift, isn't it? When we're trying to like grow and change because we're very stuck in our perspectives as human, but the alchemy, like what, so like what really, the question is like, what stops the alchemy? What stops us? Like, what is that sticking point where we can't, when someone says something rude to us, we can't just be like, oh, it's fine. And just like lovingly um, relay with them after that and take it without any kind of personal context. And it is obviously the ego. Anytime we take things personally or we have a personal um, emotional response it is the ego but the ego yeah yeah I feel like the ego gets blamed 
for being the bad guy, but that ego isn't the bad guy. It's trying to keep you safe and protected. It's like put these mechanisms in place that have worked for it at another time. And so it's repeating the pattern, trying to make things work so you feel safe and good and hurt and whatever. Yeah. Your ego is like um, anticipating danger or discomfort in the relationship or the relay between the two people and then it needs that it needs protecting from and that's caused from trauma because we've had relay with people where we do need protecting from that person or that situation and our we've had past pain hurt abandonment um the indifference of a caregiver or having someone you trust not protect you when you're in danger or in a bad situation when they had the power to or intentionally hurt you when you trust them or they were your caregiver or your mom or whatever right um and bad model behavior from childless parents that weren't emotionally involved and <laughs> we're breaking the chain we're breaking the pattern of emotional immaturity intergenerationally because let's be done with that let's grow up everyone's walking around like a bunch of fucking babies and i'm getting really sick of it but i'm also trying to transmute that into love <laughs> see it's really fucking hard <laughs> oh funny funny the ego's doing a tough job it's trying to protect you against all these things that happened in your past or things it perceives is going to happen. It's built these patterns around the way we've taught it to in a way our whole lives. And you can thank your ego. Like it doesn't have to be the bad guy. It doesn't have to be some guy that's like, I don't know. It could be something that you can um, show love to. You could say thank you or you could be thankful or grateful for your ego. Uh, we need to like retrain it, right? We need to rewrite ourselves for our present circumstances and because we can handle so much more as adults and we're keeping ourselves the emotional level of like seven year olds mostly but we can reset the brain find new ways of relating relaying be conscious bring awareness to the ways that we are our relationships and our relay with others and the way that we um have that energy exchange with others is not healthy we have to notice that we have to bring awareness in our mind to it see and not, don't be like i have trouble relaying with this person because that's a difficult person or this person chooses anger or this person does this to me because your your relay you, you the only thing you could change about your relay is your half of it <laughs> So we need to look at that half. And while we're always pointing the finger at the partner or the other um, person, we're, it's just a way to distract us from the way that our way of relaying is damaging and disruptive and destructive, right? Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. We're really quick to point the finger and notice like the pathology of each other's like emotional patterns and we can sell and see our own so easily. Um, so when we feel justified in our own actions because we're having an emotional reaction from deep within our subconscious patterns, we rationalize it 
and justify it rather than like examining it closer and admitting where we fall short emotionally. We often miss our own, um, we often miss like our own emotional patterns and loops and like some conscious way of looking at things or looking away from things. And it like goes unchecked within us because we're not checking ourselves. And like when other people check us, it's coming from some thing personal from them. And anyway, there's hangups to that. Ways to check ourselves, obviously. Everything's kind of like balancing on this um, misplaced emotion and unchecked patterns and behaviors instead of like logic or real reasoning that our brain can be doing. <laughs> but how do we recognize the patterns and like try a little more consciously? Like what's the, what's the method? Um, I'm, I mean, like, I don't know, it's different for everyone, but like, it's important that we discover our own pathology, pathology. Sorry. I try to say that word super fast. It's my ADD brain. I'm like, um, two sentences ahead already. So the same way I write. <laughs> um, but we, um, it's important that we discover our own pathology in order for our relationships to be successful. It's like the most important thing. It's it's us. It's within us. Every, every single um, opportunity to fix our relationships is within us. We can, we, it doesn't depend on the other person. You don't have to fucking drag them kicking and screaming to therapy. You need to elevate yourself. Just fucking get the rest of that out of your mind. Elevate yourself, elevate yourself, work on your ego, work on your patterns, work on transmuting negativity to positivity, to love, bring love and receive with love. Part of living more consciously is learning to operate better within our relationships and any improvements are ours to make. We can only change others by changing ourselves. But hey, there's good news. <laughs> There are many different and sophisticated consciousness technologies and um, like methods to explore and improve ourselves from within. There's like a giant amount. Just like, don't go like give a bunch of your money to someone calling themselves a star seed by light codes or something. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like inner, deep inner work and finding, um, information and sources that encourage you to dig deep within yourself and improve yourself from within. It's not like a quick fix. That's how you could discern. <laughs> and you know, what else is good is that like, there is a thing called rock bottom. Yes. But there is nothing called a roof to happiness or a roof to blessings or a roof to how much you can improve yourself there is no limit you it's infinite and you can just embrace this life and work really hard to be the best you can be and know that there's nothing that's going to stop you from getting better and better and better every day yeah so my friend i hopefully she doesn't mind me dropping the story but i'm just gonna leave her name out of it um she was having, I don't know how deep I want to go in the story. She was having a bit of health problems and she has some past trauma that's been like, she's been working really hard through, but it's pretty deep, 
dark stuff and um you know sometimes it just wears her down and stuff and so she had she she had a medical issue where her stress the universe like presented her with an opportunity to see how much stress she was actually carrying when she thought she wasn't carrying much this um and then it forced her to go find some other avenues of help for her health and stuff. And so she ended up talking to someone who is um, more of a natural practitioner, uh, like a hypnotist plus holistic um, healer kind of person. And this person literally just said to her, like, you spend a lot of time worrying about how bad things could be or what could go wrong or anticipating like danger and discomfort and um you know trying to protect yourself from that and it's causing you so much internal stress that you don't even realize um why don't we see what happens like when we just decide to see how good it could be or like how good it could get and just like really work on reminding yourself to um anticipate good things for a while and so she like has been she just recently started this practice and she said it has made a massive difference in her life just feeling the gratitude in the moment and anticipating good things to come has just made so many good things come and it's helped her transmute all every all that negative anticipation into positive anticipation and which is helping her manifest good things instead of i don't know yeah and even if it and now even if she has the same amount of bad things happen or bad things happen by chance and bad luck here and there just the same as anyone she's not going to see it the same she's not going to see it like why do all these bad things keep happening she's going to have the perspective to look at it as a blessing and see what blessing she could take from it and um, how much better it actually could make her life by transmuting it into something good and i just thought wow that's fucking beautiful and it's what a beautiful reminder like we should all have a sticker in our car like she does that says like how good could it get so we are visually like checking in all the time about that and like in a place where we can be like a little bit more meditative in the car where there's like silence less distraction and we're focused on something to have that kind of thought rolling around it's pretty powerful we could like a yeah there's no roof we can go higher and higher we could do better and better and like what beautiful things are possible for us and every like beautiful thought we have is the start of something really beautiful in the universe like thoughts are kind of things right they hold power they hold vibration they hold um energy so like each time you're choosing a better thought or a more positive anticipation you're relaying that energy to the universe and to the people around you and you're like amplifying the good things around you and the reason i'm telling this story is because that's sort of the way we need to take to our relationships we need to be amplifying the good things about them and anticipating good things about them and remembering all the beautiful wonderful magical parts and like amplifying those and relaying them back to the other person. And that's exactly what Guru Jagat says in this um, lecture. It's just like, it's so beautifully put and she like puts it together in the funny way that she can. She's sort of funny. 
<laughs> so I really paraphrase this, but I'm going to redo a bunch of this because I thought she's just so brilliant. And um, I think it like it really shouldn't go without saying this stuff and it shouldn't go without um, being related to people. But also maybe some people won't get her message that are turned away by lunatics because <laughs> I went to look up her podcast online. So I just typed in Guru Jagat and lo and behold, there's like these, <laughs> a few, like, a, like a, I think two or three, just like dweeby podcasts that made episodes about her being a far right cult leader. <laughs> One came out in January. She fucking died last year. And she was like the most beautiful, glowing human, just full of uh, the vibration of love and acceptance and like just magical, fucking wise person that's leading people in such a beautiful direction and to have like clearly leftists, but which I don't really care if you're left or right. Everyone's pretty much insane at this point, but like some clear leftists, lunatics didn't like one thing she said and then um, try to smear her entire existence after she died. <laughs> like I just... So I want to amplify her in such a positive light. And so I'm going to bring um, a little bit of her spirit into my podcast today and hopefully um, just drown out the voices of insanity that are echoing through the chambers of our reality right now. <laughs> and amplify her voice of love, acceptance, finding better relationships and being better people. I think that's a little better. And maybe like amplify the fact that anything they have against her was her finding loving truth in the world and sharing it with people to help protect them. Some people didn't like that that much lately. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to start reading. And I did take out a lot of um spots and you knows from it and some chunks of stuff just so I could have like the main meat of it. And I wasn't just reading every word from her transcript. I just want to, um, yeah, I just want to get her, like share her message that she was sharing here. Uh, okay. Self-psychology is the most important thing that you can be cultivating. No one is a greater psychologist of you than you. So you gotta figure it out. So if you're like, no, I'm really not like that. And then I bring up a line with your partner or ex and they're like, you know, this girl's throwing dishes. She's screaming. She's yelling. If she doesn't have a fight every couple of days, she picks one. If it's that different between what you think you are like and whoever has to deal with you, what they think you're like, then you're not doing that good of self-psychology. <laughs> like I was saying before. So you have to know and ask yourself, like, what's my deal? What am I up to? How am I? What do I need to kind of scratch the itch? And then you have to, you know, be conscious about it. Okay, so she quotes Yogi Bhajan. 
mm, paraphrases him a bit, but says Yogi Bhajan, you know, he didn't say in relationships not to fight. He gave a technology of what kind of fights there are and how to deal with them. A technology of how to deal with confrontation and what confrontation does to the nervous system of both men and women, because those are universal laws. And he kind of just teaches you how to maneuver it because we have to relay, which is, you know, the energy exchange, the relationships, the way that we relate and relate to each other, conversations and energy and everything, because we have to relay. That's the whole human incarnation is that we no longer are the ocean. We are a drop in the ocean. I just think that's beautiful how she says that we are no longer an ocean. We are a drop in the ocean. Now we have to have some sort of reverence and reference between self and other. And that's the exploration of what it means to be in human incarnation. That's a baseline reason why you incarnate out of nothing. The whole kind of everything to be something that is you that is separate and not separate from the whole. So then you got to figure out like how you relate to each other. We are the drops experiencing self and experiencing each other as separate and also as a collective. Relay is the entire human experience. So that's what each relationship you're having. That's what you're doing. Just figuring that out. And how does that work? And how do I relay? Now, you've heard me say a million times, not me. <laughs> good yeah, just remember that good fences make good neighbors. So in your relay, if you decide consciously, but now keep in mind that subconsciously there's a lot going on. So we have to deal with the subconscious. But if you decide at least consciously, you want to have a bigger experience um, of the relay with your partner, you need to practice amplifying that, which is magnificent and beautiful and inspiring and just amazing about this other human. If you kind of make up your mind and then in a very disciplined way, that's what you amplify in every kind of interaction. That's stage one of having a good relationship. Now, stage two, if you add this to it, it gets you to a much more sophisticated place, which is now you've identified what you want to have a bigger experience of in this person in front of you. You know what makes you excited about them, why you're attracted to them to begin with, what is amazing about them, what is inspiring, their most honorable qualities. So you understand that and you begin to practice that. Then stage two is you identify what it is they want to have a bigger experience of in the relationship. And then you amplify that for them and to them. When she says amplify, to me, it means focusing on that energy. Um, being that yourself as an example, also affirming it to them verbally, energetically. Yeah, in the relay. And like, you know it leaves little room for you to amplify the things that you don't like in the negative portions as you perceive them. It sounds simple, right? No problem. If we did this, the divorce rate would go way down and we would just have massively better relationships. So it sounds simple. Stage one, stage two, amplify good things, but we don't remember what they are in the moment because we are very concerned about our own discomfort. <laughs> Aren't we, though? She continues. And so this is another reason why we don't have good relationships, because we are not paying attention. We're not paying attention to anybody but ourselves. 
Now, I just read a very interesting study last night that they did with men. What makes a man commit in a relationship? They've done some very extensive studies and they just came out with some pretty amazing research. Does anybody know what they think it is? Like, I'm asking you guys, what do you think it is? What do you think um, is the thing that keeps a man committed? whether he's conscious of it or not, but like, what is the, what is the catalyst to make a man desire to, um, commit in a relationship? I guessed a few things, but, um, I was a little bit off. <laughs> it's how the other person makes them feel, how the other person makes them feel about themselves. It's energy that the other person brings out in them. So they've done all these studies of like what it is, looks, age, habits, everything. And it all came down to how the partner made them feel. And then she says this, which I think is so interesting. She said, I made the women in immense grace answer the question, which is like her ashram I guess or whatever where she works I'm not sure um why were men put on earth and she says you know some of them had a hard time with that and couldn't answer I'm not kidding I'm like you guys need to get it together <laughs> we're not going to heal these kinds of collective wounds if we can't figure out what we're doing right and what's happening so they did all these categories. It's like how hot the woman was, how successful the woman was, how charming she was, her age, all these things that women think that it's the reason why they would be attractive. They went through all of these categories and none of them were as, as important as the energy and the vocation of how good the man feels in your presence. We know this in tantric yoga. These are the secrets of how to create a powerful relay because you make people feel good. You make them feel good about themselves. Amplify the great things about them. It's so simple, but what are we doing all the time? We're locking into a negative relay. And basically, this is a very common thing. You'll see this when you go out to dinner with people who like just got together and they're all snuggly and in their honeymoon period. They're using these happy, happy chemicals and all this. And then a year later, you see them and they just look like they've been dragged through a war. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen that with your friends? It's much easier to see it with other people. So you see them and you can always tell when a couple comes in after they've been fighting for hours. It's very obvious in the aura where they fight. And that's what they do. I want to just tell a little sidebar about this. <laughs> My husband's best friend um, had this girlfriend. They were both, my husband and his friend were trying to make me her friend. And she's all right. Like, we, did, we just didn't have any much in common. So, we, but we went on this ski trip together for three days to get to know each other, I guess. <laughs> Literally, every time we see either of their faces, you could just tell they just been like tearing into each other for hours, like sitting through the most uncomfortable dinners of my life. And like, it was a fucking disaster. Like, I don't know who they thought they were hiding for. And like, didn't we come here for a good time? I just like did not understand 
Like what a waste. Like they were miserable every single minute for like four days. So that was fun. But like, yeah, they, and they try to play it all casual when they seen us. They're like, oh my God, it was so uncomfortable just to be in the, at the table with them without them even saying a fucking word. You could just feel it. Like you don't hide it from anyone. It's fucking obvious. If a relay is amplifying positive and really helpful, beautiful things about each other and it's helping each other, you can see it. And if the relay is doing the opposite, you can see it as well. But there's like a bit of gray area. There's stuff in between and, you know, our trauma and stuff that affects things um, in our, in our cycles and patterns are, you know, complex, but you can tell, you can sense it. You could see if um, the majority of a couple's relay is positive or negative at any given time. But it's a pretty sophisticated way to approach your relationships. If you really want to become a mad scientist of relationships, you can take this into a very sophisticated place. But let's just start at the very beginning. The very beginning is the most important part, which is that you are now, you're, you now are in phase two. You know what you want to have a bigger experience of. So you're creating that transmission. You're creating that hypnosis with the other person, which is not like, you know, pretending they're not who they are. It's taking what they are that you like and amplifying it. It's making it better, focusing on it, praising them, giving them the opportunity to display their love and affection. Most of us are just pushing, pushing each other away. And with all of our subconscious patterns, that stuff is going to be happening a lot. <laughs> so if you can consciously try to work with it consciously, it's going to help with the subconscious. You know, any version of my parents neglected me and you're not going to leave me or you're going to leave me just like they did. And all of our like stuff like that, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We don't have to get into the detail, but the subconscious patterns. And so this kind of conscious relay will at least help a little bit. And you can work with the subconscious deconstructing construction other ways, um, which is what you do with yoga, meditation and all this healing, dark night of the soul bullshit. It's not bullshit, but it feels shitty lots. <laughs> but eventually you feel fucking better than ever all the time. You just have to go through these um, lows once in a while to work through your own pathology. So you kind of get that if you're in a relationship with a man, he wants to have a bigger experience of feeling good, basically. And if you really make him feel good, then he's going to want to be around you more. And then if you really make him feel good, he's going to want to be around you more. And then that's basically creates the biophysiology of desire and the desire to commit because men actually need that, like need relationships in a way more than women need relationships, even though women are like focused on talking about relationships and like focusing and honing and you know we we have this focus on the morality of the relationship all the time but men need the relationship they need the partnership and um they need it to feel like you're the right partner you're going to help them feel good and it's going to bring out the best in them we should all be trying to bring out the best in each other um not because like everyone's so great they need to it's because we're actively like subconsciously trying to bring out the worst in each other under the surface all the time <laughs> so let's just flip that and like bring it around 
and do the alchemy of like fucking changing that, right? Okay, so now you figured out what your partner wants a bigger experience of. Now you get specific about it, but let's just be general. If you're dealing with a man who wants to be made feel good and the male ego is also very interesting kind of construction, it's different than the female ego. Both have egos. It's just a different construction. So you amplify what's good and then you know you focus on it and then you focus on the thing that you want to have a bigger experience of. You have both things going on. And then you don't have to drag the person into some like sort of self-help scenario because you've amp amplified what's good about them. You're amplifying what they want to have a bigger experience of. Now, there's some tricky ones, you know, tricky people. There's some tricky people out there who want to have a bigger experience of their anger. And, you know, they're displaying some of the behavior and things like that. So we call those people narcissists, but like... I've really got to, personally, me, Caitlin, I've got to the point where a nurse, that term narcissist is wearing out on me. Like we all have narcissistic tendencies and it's just like an easy way to label each other in a way to be like our relations or the way we relate is your problem because you're a narcissist and it can't be my problem. That's just like a narcissistic way to talk, which she says right here. People love to call people narcissists. I always know that when somebody brings that into the room, they're the narcissist because nobody isn't a little narcissistic. We're all like, we all have like a fucking dusting of it at least. It's part of the human condition. And she continues. It's like the person that says, I always date narcissists. <laughs> That's because they're the narcissist because nobody else uses that term so liberally. Only narcissists use that word so much which is kind of all of us. So welcome to the party. They, she says they had to take it out of the clinical diagnoses because everyone's so narcissistic. <laughs> uh, and that's a big one too. Well, I'm always dating narcissists. Well, basically what that is describing is you. You don't have enough energy to focus and solve the problem of like what's causing your narcissism, um, which is childhood trauma or whatever. So you can't like put it to bed. You you can't like put your ego aside to make your partner feel good <laughs> and get over yourself. So you can label them and then just sidestep your responsibilities in a way. So yeah. So you can't like get over yourself and then amplify what got you in the relationship to begin with this is obviously something good that you could be amplifying so you're amplifying and you're playing the game and that person feels good around you like once you start doing you're on step two and you know everything's feeling good because you're amplifying the good things about them and then you feel good obviously because you're getting what you think you want in the relationship and um you're also feeling good because they're feeling good and reciprocating good to you and amplifying good things to you because this kind of positivity is contagious. This kind of alchemy is contagious. Sounds simple, right, though? But it's not that easy <laughs> because of our hangups, right? Like, try and do it tonight and see what happens because if you start to do this in your relationships, everything's going to change. You just have to work on it slowly, you know, ease it in and uh, 
your relationships are going to change and you're not going to drag people around trying to make them change. And then Guru Jagat says this really insightful piece here. She says, I can I can tell you, I work with women all around the world. So I get to hear all the complaints in every language. A lot of the time the complaint comes up, the guy's not spiritual or he's not progressing as fast as I am. There's all that kind of stuff. That's your problem. Now listen to this because this is some deep insight. A spiritual woman in her presence, spirit is known. There's not a truly spiritual woman who has a partner that she can say that about because she brings it to the table. So get it together. People don't like to hear me say that. It's the truth. We just take a nice balanced pelvic ignition, open intuition, open the heart, and then you're consciously kind of working with that and what this person wants to have a big bigger experience of you're helping them to have it that's love that's compassion and if you have a tricky person we sometimes have special people they need special files it's not a completely cut and dry thing but you got to know that because you're working with someone who's damaged basically which is a lot of people but you could still have a great relationship with those people a great relationship let me repeat that again if you have a tricky person who expresses their energy in a way that's uncomfortable for you, you can still have a great relationship with that person. Your relay is fucked up. Those people, you just have to be like a little bit more conscious. So if you're dealing with somebody who, you know, likes to have a bigger experience of anger, you can let, can you let them do that without freaking out? It's usually no. The answer to that is usually no. And that's the issue. So then we don't, we can't be present for the experience. We can't be present for that person's emotion. We can't hold their emotion, the containers, unable to hold it. So, or transmute it to something better or, you know, let it flow past them without being personal. It's like adding fuel to that fire. But what you find is that the thing that will totally change if you know how to work with it and maneuver it, but these are complex teachings, so it's simple, yet it's hard, but you'll find that if you're practicing this, it will shift them. Like they won't be able to remain in that state of being a perpetually angry person like it's just impossible the energy around them won't allow for it there's no container for it but anyway so the rules are quite simple it's just the application of them and what keeps us from actually applying this because of course we all have our list of wants but if you go out on a date with someone and you amplify everything that is beautiful about them because we're very intuitive so we know what's beautiful about the person they may be beautiful physically or they they're kind or they talk about their kids or they love their children there's lots of things to love about someone right away I mean if you're a lover you fall in love all the time all day you know <laughs> love is love and I concur with that like I'm a lover I fall in love all day not like deep romantic love but I fall in love with moments and people and things and 
So yeah, it's easy to amplify things you love when you can find them, right? So someone's in front of you, maybe they're not your laundry list of perfection, but there's like things you love about them instantly. And then listen to the story too, she, that she told. She said, I had a friend and she's still single. <laughs> she had like a screensaver list of her things that she wanted in a man. It's like, that's a lot. If you're dating that way, you're going to come up empty handed. Empty handed, you come. Empty handed, you go. Because it's a beggar's way to date. It's a beggar's list. And so instead, you come full to give. Who knows if you ever see this person again? This is the land of online dating. Who knows if you see this person again? Maybe you're just DMing each other or you're, and you can practice amplifying this technique. And amplify what's good about them, add out beautiful things, and then turn them towards them and the positive. The more lives you can touch anyway, right? It's better. So just, it's a good practice to start practicing it with people you meet in chance encounter. Just find one good thing about them and try to amplify it in a way and see how it changes the exchange. It's like a service to humanity, I feel. So it's not about getting yours all the time. It's not about getting your laundry list and only being 28% attracted to this person. My advice is if you're 25 to 28% attracted to this person, then it's a good number and you should go on a second date. I'm not kidding. That means subconscious familial patterns are less activated. That means that weird pattern in your brain that makes you attracted to the wrong fucking person every single time. Why do I always fall for the same guy and fucking? Your attraction's messed up. It's it's following the pattern. It's in the loop. The attraction is part of the loop. So she's right here. If you're only a little bit attracted to that person, maybe it's like a more natural state of attraction when you first meet someone than all those fireworks. And maybe the, doing the thing that you've been doing this entire time that's getting you in these patterns isn't exactly the thing you should be fucking doing. Like, try something new. Try something different. Give the person another chance and go on another date and try to amplify the good things about them. Make them feel good. And uh, you'll get asked on more dates and you'll have more fun. Even if there's no chance of it turning into something grand, you're going to have like loving, beautiful exchanges and experiences just going just for that moment. And like you're, it's going to have a lasting effect on that person too in their life. So yeah, make people feel good. People aren't here to fulfill your list, right? And that's kind of like all I'm going to read of her transcript. <laughs> but I want to talk more about this stuff. And obviously I kind of like, I wish I could have just played the clip for you guys of her little talk, but I don't want to, I don't want to oh, steal her content. I don't have the rights to it, but I really want to talk about all this stuff and like bring up the main points and things that she said, even if I kind of mix some of them up a bit or, but um, the last thing she said is that that people aren't here to fulfill your list, right? We're here to have our own experiences. We're here to be our own people. We're here to complement each other in that. We're not here to fulfill something for you. You come with your cup full. You fill your cup your fucking self. 
and then you bring a full cup to this relationship. Wouldn't you like a man to bring a full cup to the relationship with you? Think about that. Fuck, sweet. <laughs> so your long-term partner isn't there to fill your cup either or fulfill your list or like fulfill parts of you that are unfulfilled by yourself. You got to come full. And like, if you listen last week, so we talked about the karmic laws and how you have to embody what you want to receive and amplify the things you love in your life and relationships. And this is exactly that again, just like on a personal level in interrelations, this is a law of karma, amplify the good things you want about the relationship and that person, the things you see that are already there, that are just like magical and bring the magic to it and why you're there in the first place. It's a karmic law. You live in abundance. You receive abundance. You come with abundance. You get more abundance. You come empty. You leave empty. It's also important that we understand our own subconscious emotional patterns and behaviors within our relationships. But it's really easy to not do that <laughs> and fall into our patterns. And to not see our own pathology in the relationship, like Guru Jagat said, how we, our outbursts, our angry outbursts and fights and stuff, I was like, well, we have a blindness towards it. And it, and sometimes it looks completely different to our partner than us. And, um, and it looks different on the outside than how it feels on the inside too. So if we're practicing self-examining, um, we need to set the ego aside and like really listen to what our, the things our partner says about us and our pathology, which is so hard. Like I have so many barriers to like listening to that. I literally have to talk myself through my emotional reaction as I'm hearing the, the kind of criticism. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's uncomfortable for everyone. Yeah. So our patterns are formed from a lot of things that we couldn't prevent, which means they're not our fault, but they are our responsibility. Fault and responsibility are like independent of each other. Our inner work, our triggers, our emotional maturity and immaturity. It's all our work, our responsibility. It's no one else's. And a relationship should be the worship of the polarity of our differences. We should be trying to, we shouldn't be trying to change them into us. We should be receiving their differences and beauty of that as a gift um, and the polarity as a gift and like the contrast as a gift because it is, it's a gift of perspective. That's really beautiful. I also really loved it when she said a spiritual woman in her present spirit is known. It's so true in a spiritual woman, spiritual presence is known and it is felt. And in a kind woman, in her presence, kindness is known. In a loving woman's presence, love is known. We are teaching by becoming. We are, when we embody it, it's a contagion. The room fills with it. The people in your life fill with it. I mean, that's as much way we can affect change as any. And maybe the only way is by affecting ourselves, modeling it to each other and showing it to each other and exchanging in that way with each other that we want to be exchanged with. 
and being the loving presence in the room if you want love in the room. Like, are you living your life being conscious of your actions, asserting control over your emotional responses, or are you in a state of perpetually trying to control things outside of you, attempting to modify the behaviors of others or change others? Or, you know, like, if he just would do this, then I would do this. And I told you if he were doing that, then blah, blah. We all do it. I'm not trying to be like point fingers at like we need to look at these way we do these things and the times that we feel this and express this. So I have a challenge for you this week and it's going to be a really uncomfortable, difficult challenge. And I hope that some of you do this and then you um, relay with me about it because I, you know, I'm learning all the time and I, I want to see the perspective of, of other people and hear about their journey. So this is the challenge. It's a journaling challenge. It's a bit of a journaling prompt for you. Um, it has the power to move a lot of old energy out and into the light. I, and I'm going to do it too. So maybe I'll bring my results next week or maybe they'll be too hard for me to read. <laughs> Who knows? But so a journaling prompt. So this week, write yourself a letter from your last three exes. Ooh. Try to write the letter from their perspective and tell you why the relationship ended or what was difficult about the relationship with you or what brought it, you know, what was lacking in the relationship for them or what made the relationship end, what made them end it with you, that type of thing, right? Or how, where they saw the relationship falter, that type of thing. You know, your ex telling your, you your, about your own pathology. <laughs> And I think this has a power to like really see things from an outside perspective, really put yourself in their shoes in a loving way. Don't be like, Oh, I know my ex is a fucking asshole. He's going to put yourself in their shoes in a loving way. Like from a loving perspective, their most highest version of themselves, what they would lovingly say in a loving way, but honest, very honest about their feelings and what, your pathology was from their perspective in the relationship, in the patterns, in the negativity. It's probably going to make you really uncomfortable to even consider this, but uh, that's how you know it's kind of good and juicy. If that's a bit too difficult for you, if three letters is too much, start with one. Start with the most recent X and try and step into their shoes and talk about yourself and it's going to be it's probably going to be painful and sad and hard but it's going to provide you so much growth and perspective and i think that's really important and just for a little more perspective about relationships i found this video today and i think yeah i just want to play it for you guys i cannot even fathom moving on from her what's about 10 30 at night she just says man i'm exhausted gives me another kiss and then uh she goes to bed wake up the next morning about 7 30 and um her alarm clock's going off non-stop dawns on me that she's not getting up i just you know kind of you know nudge her shoulder a little bit and honestly man just that that feeling i'll never i will never forget man it was just a feeling of just dead weight she literally laid down closed her eyes and didn't wake up. It's been about six months now. What do you want people to know? Um, what, what takeaway do you have from this that maybe like, here's something I wish I'd have known a 
a year ago, six months ago. You remember those times where you were a little short and it just crushes you that you were maybe too arrogant or too prideful to just just shut up and just serve and just love, right? Get over the contention, get over the uh, any any feud you might be having. It's just not worth it. It's really not. Just shut up and just serve and just love. That's the thing you're going to regret in the end is all the love you didn't give when you had the opportunity, all the compassion you didn't share, all the times that you let your ego come between the connection with you and the people you love or your partner. The ego is nothing. The ego dies with the body. You're not bringing that with you. It's important that we do the loving we can while we're here and be the best at it that we can. So anything we can do to make ourselves a better vessel for love, we should be doing every day and um, taking care of each other and spreading that kind of beauty in the world. Why wouldn't we be amplifying the good things? Why wouldn't we be asking how much better could it get? How good could it be? How beautiful is this fucking person? How magical? Life is too short to be trapped in the negative space. Let's remember to have the wisdom to alchemize things in the face of the ego. Just back into love and just amplify that and spread that around us. And I can't really think of a better way to end it. And I really hope you guys have a great week and, um, serve in your relationships more consciously and lovingly and dig into our your own patterns and subconscious blocks that stop you from relaying with each other in love if you want to hang around a little longer about 30 minutes, I've attached the second half of last week's Manly P. Hall lecture about karma. Um, it's called The Second Look at Karma. This is part two, and I hope you enjoy it. All kinds of elevations of a state are blind and meaningless unless the elevation causes the individual to become a better servant of humanity. Wherever promotion results in increased finance and privilege and no responsibility, bad karma is not far away. All the way along, everything we do has to be estimated in terms of consequence. If we have children, we have to take the time to educate them. If we have a proper job, we must do it well. We cannot shoddy our work without ultimately causing karma. And if enough people shoddy their work, 
it is almost impossible for any of us to get a piece of work done honorably. This is not because the devil has been whispering in ears all the way along. It is simply because we are all setting the example to each other. And for the most part, the example at the moment is not good. So we have to begin this way, to really try to find out what is possible to us so that we will not make these karmic decisions that hurt us. We should so live that as we drift through the years of life that we have as much peace and harmony as possible and, are, and continue to be as useful as possible. The perfect life is the useful life. The idea that success is to avoid or evade responsibility and labor is that these are fictitious ideas. Karma will punish the individual who believes that what he has should be kept in his own pocket as long as he lives. All these things uh, represent misuses of things. And karma is the great pageantry of use and misuse. Now we look around a little bit and we find people who are doing very lovely things, very beautiful things, very wise things. Now this does not mean that these wiser people don't suffer a little. Everyone suffers in an unfinished universe. But it means that in compensation for a misfortune, there is such an internal enlightenment that the misfortune loses nearly all of its tragedy. The individual who does the best he can, really and honestly, when faced with a responsibility, is given unusual resources. Sometimes he prays for divine help, but the prayer is backed by his own integrity. And if those work together, the job is liable to become solved or the problem be met. So all these things relate so definitely to human conduct and personal integration that it seems that we should give this matter a great deal of careful thought and try to find ways in which we can cure this mysterious disease of indifference and uh, lassitude with which most people seem to be suffering. We talk to folks every day and we find more and more people are dissatisfied with the actions of their associates. The individual, even though he is not honest himself, objects to the dishonesty of others. He, he is looking for a better world even though he is contributing nothing to produce it. So here we have about five billion, somewhere near five billion human beings living on a small ball in space. Now this little assemblage, which looks very big to us, does not, very, not, not look very big for, from a constellation far off. It is because it's a little molehill on which we live. But here we are with lessons to learn. And these lessons are first grade instruction in the ruling of the cosmos. If somewhere along the line, as some schools of philosophy believe, our evolution will ultimately result in our becoming part of a great evolutionary program that will come into existence in the future, that each one may have an executive place in the great unfoldment of the constellations and stars and elements. If this be true, and it may be, we can't say it won't be true, 
then this is part of our educational field. Here we are trying to solve a, a very simple problem, a problem that is not beyond our capacity. We want to live quietly and peacefully. We want to have enough to take care of ourselves respectably and re with reasonable pleasantness. We want to get along with each other in amity. We want to have our beliefs respected, and in time we will learn to respect the beliefs of others. We want a harmonious, pleasant world. And when two people out of this hope both marry, they expect to live, or hope to live, in a happy and harmonious family. They want the things to happen immediately which are the greater good for all concerned. They are perfectly willing, if they care, to do something to motivate the good and well-being of others. Now, reforms nearly always start not with pure intellection, but very largely with emotion. Actually, we get further by the love of truth than we uh, trying to understand it. The moment our affections are warm, kindly, and friendly, and we recognize the natural and inevitable tie between all living things, when this begins to sink into our consciousness, we find that love takes the place of law in many things. But love is a fulfillment of no law and not an escape from it. If love is real, the law will not be broken. If love is unreal, the law will be broken. And if the law is broken, the love will fail. This is all part of a very big pattern. But the kindness of heart, unselfishness, integrity, values, peace, and affection, responsibility, recognition, and admiration for achievement. All these things are part of building a law, a world in which the law of cause and effect is going to produce the results we most want. We want to live in a world which is right, but we have to cause right or it will not happen. We pray to heaven to solve our problems, but heaven does not solve things that way. Heaven determines that each individual must have the vital experience of solving his own problems. Now, we all feel, you know, that there's somewhere there's something that can get us out of our difficulties. And we like to think that perhaps religion will do it. Well, religion will do it if that religion inspires us to do it for ourselves. If, on the other hand, this religion promises us freedom from the responsibilities we deserve of, will not acknowledge the correction of the proper mistakes. If the religion throws all burdens on the Lord and lets the individual do as he please, then we will continue into the future with exactly the problems we have today. To solve problems is a job. It is a profession. It is a dedication. It is an inevitable duty. Now, working with people a great deal, as we have, we find out some problems that are comparatively frequent. One of the most common problems, I guess, today is this problem of dissatisfaction with world conditions. We don't like things the way they are. We don't like bombings. We do not like to have terrorist groups wandering about the earth. We hope and desire to have a normal and reasonable kind of existence. Now, why don't we have this? 
it's because we have not built it into the contracts between nations. We have not said that a treaty is finally a bondage of integrities. When the United Nations meets, it should, be, it should meet with each candidate, each member, dedicated to truth and not coming down with the information given him by some military dictator in the background. We cannot have any of the things we want without integrities. And chaos is the karma of lack of integrity. It is what happens when nobody does it right. Now, a lot of people want to do it right, but the, but the interferences are hard to face, are hard to cope with. So we can say that the best chances for doing it right are among people who have dedicated themselves to a self-improvement, who are seeking in one way or another to grow, to be better, not in order that they may dominate others, but in order that they may enlighten themselves. If we recognize a divine principle at the core of our own existence, if we know that there is a God in us, and that this God within us is part of the inheritance that we have from space. We have within ourselves an inevitable power for right. We have within ourselves the capacity to grow, to enlighten ourselves, to perfect our own temperaments and dispositions, and to do those things which are most useful to our world. This is in us. It is the seed of the everlasting, sowed in the earth of the transitory. It is that which is our proper and inevitable mystery of the seed, the mustard seed, which though the smallest of all seeds grows into a great tree for the shelter of the birds and for shadow and shade for human beings. So our enlightenment coming from the divine seed within ourselves has to be one way or another developed. It has to be developed sometimes against a lot of adversities. And we may assume at the present moment that most people reaching maturity have not had necessary instruction in this particular area. They have grown up under a system which is largely materialistic and therefore is continuing with all the old problems. It has grown up in a narrow atmosphere and an atmosphere of self-centeredness, even though it has been comparatively moderate in its ambitions. But it has not been a dedication to purpose. I think that we should recognize the importance that every young person growing up should, in some way or another, be aware of a sacrament, and not one of the sacraments that we generally acknowledge in the Church, but the sacrament of dedication that just as surely as we have baptism and we have the sacrament of marriage, confession, absolution, Eucharist, all these things, that we also have the sacrament of dedication. Not a sacrament to become a clergyman, but a sacrament to dedicate life to its essential purpose. That somewhere along the line, each individual should come face to face with the realization of the natural responsibilities that are his in life. And in, actually, ancient people had this. It's strange that it was one of the things that dropped out. 
But back in the very early days of civilization and into some of the more recent uh, oriental systems, a child was not born a citizen. This is very important thinking. A child was not born as, as a citizen, and it had only a milk name. In other words, it had a child name. It grew up in the family with this child name, and in Egypt, the child wore a lock of hair, sort of twisted down over the eye, and the rest of the head was bald, shaved and clean. But this uh, lock was the child lock. And at a certain period, a certain time in its life, the child was taken to the temple with all the ceremony necessary, with all the relatives and friends, the whole community uh, in the cheering area, taking care of making this a festive occasion. And at this moment, the child, now old enough to make a personal decision, usually in the middle or later teens, took the oath of obligation to his world. He was transformed from a child to a person. This was true also of women. It was not limited to men. This was a right of citizenship. The person who dedicated himself to the service of good, who offered his life for the protection of his family, his community, and his world, became a citizen. He became a citizen by accepting the responsibilities of adulthood. He became a citizen by becoming an example of right in his community. He was a dedicated and sanctified person, living to fulfill the real, real reason for a human being's existence. Then his child lock was cut off, and his name was given to him, his grown-up name a name that indicated his place in the tribe. And when this was given to him, he took his oath of obligation to the tribe, and when the tribal members met, he sat with them. He was part, then, of the family to which he belonged. Not the just family of his own house, but the family of the clan, the tribe, the group of which he was a member. And for that group, he was dedicated to live to serve it and to die to save it if necessary. There was no longer any of this uh, going off by yourself to make it rich or something of that nature. It was all part of a system. Because without this consecration, antiquity could never have survived. It, was survived. it survived because everyone stood firm for that which the tribe stood for. And the tribal wisdom, the orender of the tribe, descended from the heroes of the past who had given their lives to make the present possible. They had gone out and sacrificed everything so that their descendants could have a better life. And it was the privilege and right of these improving descendants to honor the virtues that they had inherited and protect them for the future. Now, this citizenship of the, of the tribe is a very interesting and important thought, at least. It changes the whole aspect of things. The young individual is not out to make his own way primarily. He will make his own way, in all probability, because his dedication doesn't make him useful or useless. It makes him useful. 
It makes him able to live a better person himself, to do his job better, and at the same time always remember his relationship to the group and his part in their success. So this type of thinking was part of a cure for what we might term cause and effect as we know it today. If we had brought forward the causes of good, if we had brought forward the wisdom of antiquity, we would not now be in this particular condition. The attitude or belief that we should forget the past and live in the glorious present and make it worse in the future is not very successful. It's not going to do much for us, but it's going to do a lot to us if we do not gradually recover from the present attitudes. So when then comes the idea of what happens when you do it right? Well, when you do it right, you see gradually the good of the human being, the good of the neighbor, and the achievement of the human brotherhood, which has been the great teaching of religion since the dawn of time, becomes possible. We can be one family, not because we all agree with each other, but because all of us agree with principles under which we live. We believe in the right of the other person just as much as our own. We do not step on the liberties or values of other people, but we tread carefully upon their weaknesses and try to help to strengthen the life of the person. We are here as a family, and this family has collective karma just as well as it has individual karma. And the condition we see today is simply the inevitable outcome of long-abused privileges, long-wasted resources, and the continuing emphasis upon selfishness. Now, many people feel there's nothing left but to be selfish, and they hope that the uh, end of their lives will release them from this wheel of Ixion upon which they have crucified themselves. This is not necessarily true, however, because the law of karma is also correlative with reincarnation or rebirth. And rebirth is simply the opportunity to complete unfinished business. And business is always unfinished until the individual attains enlightenment. Enlightenment is the final victory of the internal over the external aspects of life. It is the victory of God over the misuses which we have associated with religion, science, philosophy, and the arts. Actually, reincarnation is the next step in this tremendous road that we all have to follow. Re reincarnation is another day in school. It is another opportunity to grow. And all we have accomplished today in this life or brought forward from previous existences all these virtues and strengths become part of a new standard of education. <clears throat> the time must come and is coming uh, when education must take on its final purpose, namely that education is necessary to fit the individual to become part of a great motion of life to which he belongs, a motion which leads through time and space to final identity with the cosmic integrity. It has to do with the fulfillment of all things. 
It has to do, to do with the achievement uh, of a purpose for life. That is one of the problems we have. We have more doctors we know what to do with. We have more attorneys than we need. We are now developing the largest following of computer operators that will be necessary in the next 2,000 years. <laughs> By that time, there won't be any computers. All of these rather foolish things show how we will take time and energy and go through universities or take crash courses all to get $2 an hour more at, on the paycheck or to get a job or something of this nature. We will do much for physical security, but nothing for the integrities upon which life and physical security must ultimately depend. We must begin to realize that we have to grow and growth is, a, is an acceptance of realities. We grow when we can take an event in our own lives, dissect it, and find what it means. We can do a certain amount of growing if we take a mistake, which we have nursed for a long time, gradually learn to know why it is a mistake, and decide not to repeat it. We can use our own lives as handy textbooks and reference works about things we need to know. We have to do this type of thing or else continue to drift along uh, in the uncertainties which most people suffer from and at some time these uncertainties catch up to them and make them pretty miserable. So the uh, rich man who died uh, takes nothing with him but what he has learned. And if he has devoted enough time to material investments and in banking, He's not going to be much good in a different world where these do not exist, or even this world if he comes back when they are no longer practiced. We have to build enough of the now to protect ourselves in daily living, but we must also build in enough of tomorrow to serve us when tomorrow comes. We must do what is necessary to make this life useful, necessary, and helpful but we must also be laying the foundations for future lives in which better values will become the basis of better living. In India and other parts of the Orient, the law of karma is just simply accepted so completely that no one really doubts it. It's not something you have to argue about or convert someone to. To the Oriental mind, it is the only reasonable answer. What help? What else is there reasonable for the individual to work with? There is a possibility that he doesn't survive, and that the, there is nothing. That when he uh, passes on, uh, good and bad cease together, because he has ceased. Now, in the universe, which gone through as much as this one has in the last million or two years, it seems rather foolish to announce that everything is ending in nothing. That this, all this great struggle should mean that each individual shall pass on, never know again what happened, and never have an again in himself. He simply ceases to exist. The materialists have tried to make this look attractive by suggesting that we leave behind us our memories, our achievements, and some kind of a memorial to our accomplishments. But if we do not even live to know that this has happened, there's very little real satisfaction in, in ceasing to exist, even if we are represented by a stone here on this planet. 
The next thing is, if what about the future? Do we go to some abstract place, better or worse, uh, where we must face the consequences of our actions? Uh, where if we are wrong, we are punished. If we are virtuous, we are punished also, unless we belong to the right group that gives us a certain survival. But we get there, and what is there? There is nothing but a vast ghost land of suffering and misery. Individuals punished for things they did not know enough to avoid. Millions who had not been very bad or very good suffering together in some cruel limbo under the domination of an infernal power which should have never had a place in a God-given universe. If this is forever and ever, and that the individual is going to suffer in this respect, I think it's high time for most people to come to a rather simple solution. If this is true, we're not going to believe it anyway. We're going to refuse to accept eternal damnation for the transitory mistakes of modern human ignorance. We might need a little chastising, someone just slap us on the wrist or something. But this idea of eternal damnation is certainly no longer acceptable to a conscious or intelligent human mind. We also have other possibilities uh, as to uh, the joining with the right church or something, that we have a better opportunity over there, a better consideration. But the fact remains, the whole thing is frustration. The whole thing ends with the simple fact that the average individual leaves this world not bad enough to go to hell and not good enough to go to heaven. <laughs> Under such circumstances, the answer is inevitable. The only thing to do is come back here and finish it. <laughs> Nowhere out in space is there anyone that wants us. <laughs> and it's now getting to the point where we don't want each other here. But the only answer is the idea that reincarnation is an opportunity for the individual to overcome his weaknesses, develop more strength of character, become a more positive and constructive factor in the plan of things, and go on until his enlightenment carries him beyond the phases of pain and sorrow which we know on this planet. We need to have this encouragement. We need to have the idea of what was going to happen. And in order to know what is going to happen, the law of karma and reincarnation have been linked together. Because the reincarnation is the solution to the imperfection of human life. And karma is the pressure behind the individual to help him to outgrow his mistakes. The pressure of the discomforts of wrongdoing. These are the pressures that karma works with. There is nothing ugly, unpleasant, terrible, or, or tragic about the operations of karma. Karma is by nature kindness, because it is forever providing new opportunities for the completion of unfinished business. It helps us to be sure that in the due course of things, we shall also develop the consciousness that is necessary to us. Now we might also ask, if this be the case, what about what happens? What are the laws of karma bringing about in the larger pattern of things? 
What is it that lies beyond for which we are trying to perfect ourselves? Well, in the first place, the perfection of self is really simply a natural necessity. That we should unfold our potentials is part of potential itself. The reason why this plant grows is because the seed is planted. And each life is a part of the growth of something. Now, when we plant a seed of a tree, why do we plant it? It's because we hope it will grow into a tree. And we hope that that tree will have a reason for existence. Because we know also that in that tree will be also the perpetuation of itself. Now, the fact that these growths are all continuous seems to indicate a universe of unfolding integrities and values. That somewhere in the large mystery of things, the separated being, that part of the divine nature which was isolated in the pre in creation and is scattered now through every form of living thing from man to the smallest cell or atom, that all this, as Pythagoras points out, will be gathered up. And that in this great moment, when all these sparks become one again, on that occasion, the divine being, who is made up of these spots, sparks, will become alive again. We resurrect or save the divided energies of God, return them to their source, and the divine power is fulfilled, completed, and dumb and, and made perfect by the constant contribution of its parts. When all things gather together, God blazes forth in the certainty of itself. It blazes forth as the perfection of all things. The sparks return to the flame. And all that is not part of the sparks and not part of the worldliness is absorbed again into the essences from which these things came. So that in the end, we are really all, all a, a great eternal divine power growing up in, in the multitude of imperfect sparks, gradually becoming liberated from the limitations of matter, and finally returning again to the infinite splendor, which is our true nature and substance. What we are going to feel, how we are going to think, or what we are going to do when we are again part of the infinite is rather beyond us at the present time. But we know that it is in the keeping of an eternal power and that the end of all things is perfection. Nothing is lost. There is nothing that can exist that isn't part of this growing thing that must ultimately become perfect in its own right. Consequently, we are all working in a sense, maybe, to rescue the separated parts of the eternal and bringing them together returning the infinite diversity to once more to complete an eternal unity. That we are working all the time for the salvation of the one life that exists in this world. For the universe itself is suspended from one life. And this one life is clothed in the universe. And the perfection of this one life through the perfection of its parts is the absolute and abstract resurrection. It is the final release of eternal life from the limitations of form. But these, uh, this life being thus released brings with it something 
that it could never have had it not divided into its parts had these parts gradually grow up and become part of itself but when they become part of itself then these parts in their own right will know what makes eternity itself what creates the final and ultimate and when it's returned to the infinite it shares the wisdom the love the hope and the eternity of the great power from which it came in other words the return to God is an, a, a, a perfection through effort a return of the part of the spark to the flame and that that is in a, not a, a dead loss a dead silence a dead deepness somewhere but that in some mysterious way when we reach that ultimate union we will discover that we are in the presence of a creating created divine power which functions on one principle alone and that is love all hates fears doubts beliefs must finally be absorbed in love for love is that which fashions all things the lack of that love has given us our present disasters and we must finally find our way back again to union with that power which is infinite love and in so doing share in that love and war and sorrow and strife will be no longer in us and we will be part of that eternity for which we were created and to which we must continually aspire thank you very much Oh, the spring, the